Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11, when you got it, say so. He says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after th three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, Remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by, the, by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Lord God, we thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your word that sets us free. We thank you for your word, my God, that you have given us to live by the very bread of life. And so today, Lord God, we come with hearts humbled, my Lord. We come with our lives yielded unto you, and we pray, Spirit of God, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the wisdom that we need, the direction that we need. Above all things, God, that we would not be hearers of your word alone, but that we would be doers of your word. That we would leave this place, Lord God, better equipped, Lord God, further challenged in our faith, my God, to serve you more faithfully, Lord God, to give you honor and glory. Lord God, I just want to thank you for this gospel, Lord God, that you've entrusted me with that you've entrusted us with to preach and to be good stewards of, Lord God. May you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, if you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get you an outline. There's a hand over here. If you don't have an outline, you'll need an outline or you'll want an outline. You can take notes. You'll be able to follow along on some of the parts. The outlines are for those who are part of connect groups. Our connect groups are our small groups, and those small groups meet in different homes throughout the week. And what we do is we discuss the scriptures. And so these questions that are there, um, they will help us to be able to dialogue better and for us to have better and more fruitful conversation. And so we want to make sure that everyone is able to take notes. If anyone else needs one, raise your hand, keep it up, make sure you get one. Glory to God. All right. Praise the Lord Jesus. So you can follow along with me at the top. We're continuing on in our series um, dealing with the gospel. and We're talking about Liberated for Life, which is the title of the series, which the book of Galatians communicates to us and lets us know, and, or is a reminder of the gospel that liberates and the gospel that separates us and the, the, the gospel of grace that was preached by the apostles and by the apostle Paul to the Gentiles. And so this gospel reminder is what the whole book of Galatians is about to, re to remind us of the 
freedom that we have in Jesus. Because what God does is God wants to liberate us so we can really live. And like I talked about in the first message, God wants us to experience this abundant life. He wants us to experience that abundant life that Jesus said he came to give. And when we think of abundant life, we're not talking about material things. We are talking about the spiritual things, the real life, life having real meaning. And that comes from an encounter with Jesus. Amen? And so today we're going to talk about the source of the gospel as we're in this third part of chapter 1 and what the Apostle Paul is communicating. And in your outline you'll see here just a few things that, we'll be, that, that I'll, I'll start with. And the first thing is that the argument for one true gospel must burn in our hearts because it is the only message that has equal power to deliver equally every and any person who puts their faith in the message. And so as we're dealing with this, again, as I went through the book of Acts, I told you, I said, don't let the book of Acts simply be a historic reminder. Don't let the book of Acts simply be something that you get some information about what happened, but let it challenge your life. And the same thing is in the book of Galatians. It is not that we just know about this gospel. It is not that we just know that there is one true gospel. It's not that we're just able to articulate it and able to explain it. No, 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 no. It should burn in our hearts. What should happen is, is that as we hear this gospel message preached to us as we learn more of the gospel that has liberated us something should happen inside of our hearts there should be a passion that is burning within us because we realize that God has entrusted us with life or death amen Last week we talked about this. I was, I was very encouraged, and, and, and I want to encourage you because I think a lot of times we don't realize, you know, in, in, in the old school church, they used to do something called a testimony service. Any of y'all ever been in a testimony service? I've never been in a testimony service, but I, I think I was in a testimony service. It's probably a little bit different. It's a more modern testimony service. You know, it was moderated better. Amen? I'm just saying. You know, and so testimony services was a time when, you know, p- you know people who were believers, right, they would get up and they would share their testimony. But what is the purpose? Of, of, of sharing your testimony. It is to encourage others. Amen? Amen. See, the, the, the reason why a lot of folks stop testimony services is because people would get up in the testimony service and they would talk about the devil more than they would talk about God. Are you hearing me? They would talk about how the devil was beating them up and the devil was trying them and they gave like 10 minutes to God and like three, I mean, like 10 minutes to the devil and like three minutes to Jesus. No, that's backwards. Amen? And so the point of the matter is, is that we should testify. And so I I say that because, you know, it's important that we encourage each other with the way that God communicates. That's part of the purpose of Connect. You know, when God is speaking to us and then we're able to share that. Well, I got a text message, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday, and it was actually from, um, she's not a a member here. Her name is Glacy. She's Jaira's mother. And so she texted me and she said, you know, Bishop, I just wanted to share with you that I've, you know, she's a um, dental hygienist. And so she's been working in the same, um, you know, the same place for a long time. And she's been treating a patient for like 20 years. This one patient, he's an older man. You know, I think he's like in his 80s is what she said or something like that. And what she said was that he came in there that particular day for his cleaning. And when he comes in there, he, he, he was um, diagnosed with COPD. And so she said that as she told him this, that as he told her this, that she was encouraged because she felt like, you know, the Holy Ghost, like, you need to ask him if he knows Jesus. And she was like, and then your message that you were preaching is what was prompting this inside of me. And she's like, and so, you know, I was thinking I was struggling in my flesh for like 10 minutes because I'm like, I'm at work. I can't do that. And so she went back and forth. And then she finally just said, you know, she said, I told him, you know, it's important that we all know Jesus because we all going to have to stand before him. 
And she said that the guy, you know, got up and he was like, you know, you've been taking care of me all these years. And he gave her a hug and thanked her for, you know, those words. And so the point of the matter is, is that the message should do something in your heart. That is my prayer, is that the message does something to you. That is not just that I can rejoice in the fact that I'm free. Not just that. It's good to rejoice in that. We sing, I am free, so we can rejoice in our freedom. How about desiring to share freedom with those who are not free? How about being moved to the fact to, un- to understand that the message that you have been entrusted with is able to bring liberty and bring freedom to others. We'll get to that at the end of the message. But here is the heart of me preaching and going through Galatians. is not just to remind us of our freedom, but to remind us of those who need to be set free. Amen? Amen? The second thing here in the second paragraph there in your outline is the problem with false gospels. And I talked about the one true gospel last week, and we'll talk about the one true gospel throughout this series. But the problem with false gospels is they do not work for everyone equally. But more importantly, they never really deal with the fundamental issue of a sinful nature that cannot be medicated, cannot be tamed, cannot be counseled, and cannot be commanded to live up to the standards of God and succeed only the The gospel has the power to liberate us to live holy, God-honoring, Christ-exalting, and spirit-filled lives. You see, the false gospels that we hear, if you have a gospel like, you know, when we were in our connect group, we, you know, we went over the, the false gospels of our day. And one of, the, one of the things we talked about is this prosperity gospel. I want you to know something. This prosperity gospel doesn't work in the backwoods in Africa. Are you hearing me? This prosperity gospel doesn't work. Even in the United States, it doesn't work for everyone. Why? Because everyone will not be rich. Everyone can have an abundant life. Everyone can experience God's blessing. Everyone can be debt-free. If you simply apply the principles of Scripture, living out the abundant life and the directives in the Word of God, you can experience stuff. But that does not mean that you're going to be rich. Hello? And so the prosperity gospel doesn't work for everyone the same way. The same way that a works gospel, right? And so, like, you know, when you look at the Catholic Church, I had a conversation. And I know some of you get a little nervous, you know, might get a little offended. Don't get offended. Understand something. There was a reformation for a reason. Hello. I'm just saying. There was a, and we're called Protestants. You know what that word means? It means to protest. Hello. And so the Protestant church was protesting against a doctrine of salvation by works. Why does that not work? It was funny because I go to a men's Bible study with some guys at the gym that I work out at on Thursday mornings. And, and, and a couple of the guys are Catholic in there. And one of the guys, you know, we started talking about confessing sins one to another. And then obviously it brought the conversation to the place of confessing to a priest. And he said this. He said, you know, I don't necessarily have an issue with confessing to the priest. He said, but my question is this. How does he know how many Hail Marys? I have to say. <laughs> says, how does he determine how many our fathers I have to say in order to be forgiven? And that's a great question because how do we know that I said enough? How do I know I said them right? When I'm looking at a work salvation, and it's not just the Catholic Church that proclaims that, there are plenty of other religions that proclaim a works-based salvation. And so here's the thing: it doesn't work for everyone. You know why? Because I will never be as holy as some of you. Hello. Bishop just said that, right? Some of y'all are holier than me. Some of you, you know, are more sanctified, more walking, you know, like on that straight and narrow than I. And you know what? If I'm depending on my works to guarantee me getting into heaven, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to fall short, and I will never experience the joy of the Lord. 
I will never experience the joy of salvation. I will never experience it. And it doesn't mean that I stay, you know, in, in, in a place of compromise or not living holy. As a, as a matter of fact, on the flip side, when I rest and I experience the joy of true liberty and true salvation, what that calls me to do is to live more holy and live more righteous because I want to be more like the Savior who saved me. I want to be more like him, and I, want to, and, and, and I want to honor him because I realize that that is what my life is about. He liberated me so that way I could experience him in his fullness. And so what happens is when we really grasp this concept of the gospel, the one true gospel, then we're able to experience that joy. The issue is when there's, when there's other gospels being preached, church, when there's other gospels that people are believing, when there's other gospels that they're thinking that, they're, that those things are going to save them, the major issue is they don't all work for everyone. But the one true gospel works equally for everyone. Amen? Amen? And so today we're talking about the source of the gospel because that is what Paul is beginning his argument about here. And so your third paragraph there, it says the source of the gospel is vital since the source determines its ability to accomplish what it promises. If a source is weak, then it will only produce weakness in its believers. And so if the source of the gospel is man, then guess what? It's not going to produce the fruit of righteousness that God wants. Hello? If the source of the gospel is, is just some, you know, positive thinking, guess what? You can only think positive for so long. Hello? Because that's all on your ability, right? It's all on your strength. It's all on you disciplining yourself to be a certain way. But when the, when the source of the gospel is eternal, now you have a power that is beyond you. Hello? Now we have a power that is going to strengthen us. And so that's the reason why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he has this thing that he's experiencing and this, this thing that's buffeting him in his flesh. And he's, and, and he's got this thorn in his side and he's crying out to God. He says, I cried out to the Lord three times, Lord, remove this thing from me. And God says, no, I'm not going to remove it from you. He says, because in your weakness, right, he's, I'm glorified. That's what he says. When you are weak, I am strong. He says, my grace is sufficient. That's what he tells Paul. And obviously not in that order, but he communicates to him, my grace is sufficient. Even in your weakness, even in your weakest moment, my strength is enough. Amen? And so we want that gospel in our lives. And so the apostle Paul, he was being accused of being a nonconformist. Hello. These Judaizers were accusing him of being a nonconformist. They were saying, you know, this guy comes over here and he doesn't want to conform to the laws of the Jewish people. He doesn't want to conform to the legal standards that we have in the scriptures. And so they were calling him this nonconformist. And the apostle Paul is saying, listen, it's not like that. And he's going to break this down. But I want to encourage you because God is raising up nonconformists in our day for his glory to proclaim his gospel message. He is raising up people who are not going to conform to the norms of the, of the culture, who are not going to conform to the social gospels, who are not going to conform to those things that do not bring true liberty. That is what he is raising up. And the Apostle Paul, he was like the ringleader of this. He was the one who was leading the way saying, you know what, I'm not going to try to bring people into bondage. I'm not going to try to bring people under a yoke that they can't keep up with, that they can't carry by themselves anyway. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to proclaim to them the message of grace, the message of the gospel that is able to set them free and here's the beauty of this is that while Paul preached this a long time ago the message remains the same today 
The message remains the same today. So if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, he calls you today to submit your life to him. He calls you today to experience his grace. He calls you today to turn from your sin and put faith in him to save and deliver you because he wants you to experience a freedom that is not solely external but begins internally, begins in your heart, and then manifests itself outside. That's what he wants to do. And the message still has that same power today. So the first thing, I have one main point and three sub points. So repeat this after me. Say the Apostle Paul, Paul. message, Message. and ministry ministry. were of divine origin. The Apostle Paul's message and ministry were of divine origin. In the Apostle Paul's defense, you'll notice as he goes to this defense in verses 11 through 24, he makes his defense of the source or the origin of his gospel message, and he argues from three different points. He says, first, he talks about his past as a persecutor of the church. The second thing he does is he talks about his conversion to becoming a believer in Jesus. And the third thing he argues with is his commission as a preacher of the gospel. And so he, 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 he begins to communicate and let these people know, first of all, you need to know where this gospel message is coming from. You need to know where this message, where did this message originate? This message didn't come from a guy who was being a nonconformist because I wanted to be a nonconformist. This message didn't come from a guy who just wanted to preach something to you because I was trying to gain a following or I was trying to earn a living. He's saying, no, this message came from outside of me. This message wasn't something that originated in my heart. This message is something that I received directly from the Lord. And so the first, the, the, the first sub point is this. Say this with me. He received... His gospel personally from Jesus. So look at verses 11 through 14, and then we'll break these down. He says, but I make known to you. So I'm proclaiming to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father." So the first thing he says in the first two verses there is he's saying, my gospel didn't come from man, so we get that. My gospel originated from somewhere else. But then he begins to point out who he was. So what he's trying to make them understand is, listen, I used to be a persecutor of this church. He said, I used to hate this message. I used to hate this Jesus. I was doing everything that I could to silence the preaching of this message. It's not, I am not a nonconformist. He is saying something miraculous happened in my life something changed I went from being this persecutor of the church to being someone who encountered Jesus and was changed and so his argument is this he's saying listen they can't call me a nonconformist they can't say that I'm not trying to live according to the law because that's not the truth they know me and you know what he says he says and y'all heard about me Y'all heard about me. Y'all know what I was like. And not just from me, but you know my testimony. You know the type of person that I was. And so it's not that I'm trying to be a nonconformist. I'm trying to communicate what has happened in my life. And so he makes it clear that the message didn't, that he didn't receive it from men. And this is very important. We'll get to that in the next point here. And Paul reminds them of his former conduct and shows them this. And here's the point that I really want to make under this heading here. The gospel that you and I preach must be the gospel that changed us and is changing us. 
When I share the gospel, and, and you, well, you're going to talk about this in Connect, and, and, and the question is something like this. You know, what area of your life can you say, man, there is a mark of the gospel there? This is, this is proof. This is proof that there was a time that I didn't know Jesus. This proves that I know him now. Because if I don't have that, then there's an issue. If I'm just communicating information, there's an issue. God doesn't want me to just communicate facts. He doesn't just want you to communicate facts. The question is, do you, you see, you know why this is so important for us to, to, to really think about this? Because if you don't have an understanding of, man, this how I was before I met Jesus and this how I am now, man, did you really meet him? I mean, that, 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 internalize that for a moment. Oh, yeah, I know Jesus, but my life looks no different after I met him. That, that would be like me saying, yes, I met Elaine, and, you know, I'm still crazy. <laughs> did I really meet her? Did I, did I really fall in love with her? Did I, was, was my life changed? Was, what, really? And I'm still, I, I met her, but I'm still looking for a wife. What kind of sense would that make? That would make me a hypocrite or crazy. Hello. Right? One of the two. So the fact is that there are some people in the church that you're talking about. You met Jesus. I met him. I know him. And this gospel, I'm free. But your life doesn't show that. And you know, and you know why? There's two issues with this. The one issue, which is more important at this moment, is you. Because if you are not being changed and have not been changed by the gospel, you need to check yourself and come to repentance and faith in Jesus because your life is in the balance. But the second reason why this is such an important topic is because if you're walking around talking about you know Jesus, but your life doesn't look like you know Jesus, you are damaging the testimony of Jesus. You are putting a stumbling block in the way of those who need Jesus. And so my life is not supposed to be simply words, nor is it supposed to be simply a lifestyle. It must be a combination of a life that is changed by the power of God. And now I live out the gospel in all areas imperfectly. No one is perfect. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm just talking about visible and real marks, measurable realities like how has the gospel changed me how has the gospel changed me and listen I want to encourage you because I don't want to just be hard and like you need to be changed I want you to know that there is opportunity today to be changed there is opportunity today to submit to Jesus to commit to him and allow your life to be transformed if you're sitting there and you're like man I, I, I can't even think of a place where my life looks different listen today's the day Today is the day that God can bring change to your life and mark your life forever. That would be an awesome thing. The second sub-point here is this, and repeat this after me. He received his gospel apart from men. Look at verse 15 to verse 17. He says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace... To reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. 
And so he says in verse 15, he says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. So stopping right there, he says this, there was a time that was pleasing to God. There was a moment that came that it was time for him to experience an encounter with God. And he says it here that he was separated from... Listen, from his mother's womb, he was separated for what? Just to be saved? No. He was separated to be a proclaimer of this gospel, to be one who communicates. And so what Paul is is communicating is this, that God chose him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And this is the beauty of this. When we talk, remember we're talking about the source of the gospel. And what God would do is he would give him the same gospel message that he gave the other apostles who walked with Jesus. But he, but he didn't walk with Jesus. Hello? He didn't walk with Jesus like they did while, he, while Jesus was on the earth. But what Paul does is for three years, he goes over there and he experiences the law. And one writer said that the apostle Paul went into the desert with the law and the prophets and he came out with Romans and Galatians. Hello. He went over there and he didn't have, and he, all he had was the Old Testament. All he had was the law and the prophets and he was studying and Jesus was communicating to him. And Jesus was revealing to him and giving him this revelation. Why? It was because it was showing his apostolic authority. It was showing the authority of the message because here's what happened. When Paul goes into the desert and gets this revelation from Jesus and he comes out, and we're going to talk about this in the next point, when he comes out to the church, his message is not contradicting theirs see that's our problem in our day with some of these false religions around there is that these people went into a desert they got a revelation but it contradicts that of the word of God it contradicts that of the scriptures they come out with a different Jesus they come out with a different understanding of the gospel they come out with a different way that we're supposed to live they come out with something different because they're having an encounter with an angel of light hello That seems like they're proclaiming the truth because they are communicating some level of truth, but they are not communicating the full truth that sets people free. Today is beautiful for us because we don't have to go into the desert. Hello. Are you hearing me? You don't have to go into the desert for three years and try to find Jesus. You can find him right here, right now. Amen. You can find him in your car on your way home. You can find him in your house. You can find him wherever you can find him. Amen? Amen. And the beauty of it is is that not only can we find him wherever we're at, but he has also given us something as a safeguard. The word of God is many things, but one of them, it is a safeguard to keep us safe, to make sure that we are rooted, that we are grounded, that we are not wavering, that we are not turning to the right or to the left from the true teachings of Jesus and the apostles and the word of God. And so we have these scriptures. And so what we should do is we should really care about this Bible. I I didn't get to see the video. All I saw was a part, um, someone posted a video on Facebook and it was of some people and they're in a foreign country where I guess I'm assuming Bibles are not allowed and these people are literally doing this to their Bibles. They're kissing their Bibles. They're so grateful that they have a Bible. Let me ask you a question. How many Bibles are in your house and how much time do you spend in them? 
Because in the United States of America, listen, you have access to all kind of Bibles just through the internet. Hello. If you have a smartphone or a smart device, you have Bible at your fingertips. You have translations at your fingertips. You have commentaries at your fingertips. You have everything that you need. In the United States of America, we are ungrateful because we have so much access to those things. But these other people, they don't have access like we do. There's, other, there's some people, they, 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 they don't even get a whole Bible. They get a chapter, and they stay on that. That's what they do. That's all they have. And they're grateful. And so why, why is this so important for us? Because what should happen, and I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again, because for some of you, you've never heard it, so it'll be the first time. For others of you, you didn't listen the first time, so it's good you hear it the second time. Amen. And for the rest of us that are replying it, glory to God. Amen. But there's something that we learned when we were going through the gospel transformation, and it was something called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina, what does that mean? That is an old word, and what it means is the spiritual reading of Scripture. And the way that the, these old school, these people that, you know, you like, you read their stuff. I don't know about you, because I, 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 I just know about me and what happens to me in my Bible study time. I consider myself, and I'm, I'm going to be totally blunt. I'm not being prideful. I consider myself to be relatively smart. Not very smart, relatively smart, okay? I'm just saying. These guys are always correcting me on my vocabulary and all that kind of stuff. So I'm relatively smart. I, I'm smart enough to make up words when I don't have a word there. But anyway, okay, I'm relatively smart. I have a relationship with Jesus, amen? I'm saying, I, and, and, and I have had times where the Holy Ghost, I mean, he just pours into me and he just speaks to me. But let me tell you something. When I, am, when, when I study, because the way that I study, just so you can kind of understand how I study the word of God to preach, I, whatever text I'm reading, whatever text I'm studying, I sit down and I meditate on that text. I read through the text. I get the outline that the Holy Spirit is giving me. I look at the points that need to be made to drive the text home. And then what I do, I study the words. I study the grammar. I study all those things. And then after all of that, I go and I check my work by these old school, you know, um, commentary guys. And sometimes I'm like, man, I'm going to throw my message away and preach theirs. Hello. Because these guys be messing me up, man. I'm like, where did they even come up with that? I mean, these, these, these people are amazing. The, and it's not because they're so smart. It's because they knew how to study their Bible. And when you apply this principle, and I hope you're taking some notes because this is important for you. Because if we want to make sure that we're grounded in this gospel and that our, see, because here's the thing. While we do not need to go to the desert for three years to get a revelation from Jesus, we need to practice being in the presence of God separated. So that way your gospel is not just dependent upon a preacher or a teacher or a connect group leader, but that your gospel is, is grounded and rooted in your relationship with Jesus and as you are there in the word of God he is grounding you, he is rooting you he is uprooting, he's removing he's changing but if you don't apply the right practice to studying the scriptures that will never happen you will always depend on a commentary or a commentator or an answered question from someone but you never get direct revelation church, God wants to speak to you God wants to reveal himself to you God wants you to know his word not just the black and white. He wants you to know the author and the finisher of your faith. He wants you to know the Spirit of God who breathed into the writers originally. And he wants to continue to breathe into you and breathe into me. But that does not happen if we are not spending time in the Word of God. We will never... Never have the full revelation that God wants us to have if we don't apply the scriptures in our lives and we're not meditating on them like we should. So now this thing called Lectio Divina, 
When I learned this, I was like, man, I never, I never studied the Bible like this. I would just study, you know, I would sit down and study the scriptures. And that's the way that I would study my Bible. Because here's another thing. You should write this down and think about this. Nowhere, nowhere does the Bible ever say read the Bible. It never says that. It never says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. It never says get on a one-year Bible reading plan. <laughs> I'm just saying. It never says that. We say that. It's a good way to encourage you to read through the scriptures, to get through the scriptures. But the Bible didn't say that. The Bible says to meditate upon these scriptures, right? That, that's what the scripture says. It says to study, to show yourself approved, a workman who rightly divides the word of God, who has not need to be ashamed. That's what the scriptures say about the scriptures. And so when I looked at this Lectio Divina, this is just, this is how I've begun to apply it. And I don't, and I don't do it every single day, but I begin to apply this into such a deeper and richer time of, of, of reading the scriptures and experiencing God. And so the first part of Lectio Divina is a thing called Lectio. Say Lectio. And so all of them, you know, L-E-C-T-I-O, Lectio. And so all that is, is reading. Just read what the scripture says. So you sit down, whatever your Bible reading plan is. So you're reading, you know, three chapters a day. You read your three chapters a day, right? You go through those three chapters. But after you have done the Lectio part, which you have read the scripture for what the scripture says, then you come to the next part, which is Meditatio. Say Meditatio. So what do you think that means? That means meditation. Hello. And so then what you do is you're not going to be, listen, you're not going to be able to meditate on three chapters. That's just not going to happen. Hello. So what you do is there should be, I don't know about you, but I know when I'm reading the scriptures, there is always a part that pops out at me, right? And so that part that pops out at me, it could be a question. It could be a challenge. It could be something that I don't understand. It could be something that really just hit me like, man, you need to apply this, right? And so you, you have the meditation time. So you lectio the scripture. You read the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? And then you go to that place of meditation where you begin to meditate upon the scripture. You begin to think over the scripture. You begin Begin to repeat the scripture you begin to try to start applying that scripture to memory at least part of it if you're not going to memorize the whole thing at least memorizing a portion of that and letting that part just be meditated on and then from there you go from lectio to meditatio you go to this thing called oratio and what does that mean it's like in spanish oracion right and so prayer so now see this is where it takes the scriptures to a different place because now as i'm reading the scriptures i pray the scriptures i don't just read it I don't just meditate on it, but I pray it. In other words, I converse with God about his word. And here's what happens. Sometimes my oratio of the scriptures is going to be, God, why is it that this scripture says this, but my life looks like this? Are you hearing me? Why is it that this scripture says this, but my life doesn't look like that? And that may be the frustration that comes out of your heart. Other times, you will read a portion of scripture and you'll simply be able to rejoice. Thank you, God, because I see this in my life. Thank you, God, because you've promised this to me. Thank you, God, because I have never needed this promise yet, but it's there and I'm thankful. Are you hearing me? And so you begin to pray the scripture. Other times, it's like, God, help me to live out these scriptures. When I'm reading things about loving others, when I'm reading things about forgiving, when I'm reading things about evangelizing, when I'm reading things about whatever, wherever you are in the scriptures, help me to be a person, you know, you're reading about giving, and so God, help me to be a person that is a giver. You're reading about being on mission, you know, you're reading those scriptures, God, help me to be a person whose life is really on mission. And you begin to pray to him, so you go, that's, that, that's part of how you do this, and so you have those things where you read, Lectio, Meditatio, where you meditate, or where you pray it, and then the last one is contemplatio. Now, you would think that's contemplate, right? It's not contemplate. 
What this literally means is to apply the text to your life. So now you don't just read it. You don't just meditate on it. You don't just pray it. But now you figure out, God, how am I going to live this? How am I going to take this with me from my prayer closet? How am I going to take this into my daily life and apply it? Amen? Is that helpful to anyone? Praise the Lord Jesus. If we'll spend time in the scriptures like this, our hearts will be transformed. Listen, and I want you to know, it's okay to have questions. Amen? It's okay to not understand stuff. It's okay to, it's okay to you know, text message or email. It's all good. You know, I, I know myself. I know the other pastors. We're all open to that. I know your other brothers and sisters. We're open to that. If we don't have an answer, we'll get an answer. That's all good. It's okay to have that. Because you know what I, what I realize is this, is that a person who's not reading their Bible is never going to have questions. Hello? I'm thankful because I know this much. The more I read my Bible, I'm just saying, the more questions I have. Hello? The more I dig in there, the more I want to know what does that mean, the more I want to understand what the writer, you know, the person who was inspired meant when they communicated that. But you know what? If you're not disciplined, see, in this whole Lectio Divina, this takes discipline. Listen, you're not going to do no Lectio Divina in three minutes. When I read through the scripture, I meditated on the scripture, I prayed the scripture, I'm running out. That's not going to happen. That means that you have to have time with Jesus. You know what that means? That means you have to be disciplined in order to have that time separated for him consistently. Amen? But if you want more out of your, out of your Bible time, then you should begin to practice that or something similar to it. The third thing, repeat this after me. He received acknowledgement of his gospel from the churches. Look at verse 18 to verse 24. Verse 18 to verse 24, it says, Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, remained with him 15 days, and so, pausing for a moment. What is he saying? He's saying, I spent three years in the desert of Arabia and Damascus. So three years. He's, he's, he's been saved for three years now. He's gotten this gospel. He's already begun preaching. To, to my knowledge, when I'm studying the scriptures, he's already planted churches. He's already doing these things. He is already communicating the gospel. People are being saved. I don't know about planting churches, but he's already communicating the gospel. People are being saved as a result. People want to kill him already. Hello. Okay, so this guy, he's like, it's been three years. Then, after three years, alone with Jesus, I go up to Jerusalem to see Peter. And he says, I remained with him only 15 days. And so he wasn't there for a long time. He was there for 15 days. And he said, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. And so what he says is, he's like, I went over there to see Peter. Why did he go to see Peter? Because Peter is one of the lead apostles here. He is someone that, that, that has been used up until this time. If you read the book of Acts, the way the book of Acts happens is in the beginning, you see Peter as the voice piece and the mouthpiece of God to the Jewish people and even to the Gentiles in Cornelius' house. And then Paul gets saved and it transitions from talking about Peter to now talking about Paul. That's how the book of Acts is. And so why? So he's going to talk to Peter because Peter is the main voice that is communicating. And then he also sees James, which is, which is important because when we look in the book of Acts, we know that when they're having this discussion in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, and they're talking about should um, the Gentiles have to be circumcised and obey the law in order for them to be saved, well, James is the one who has the final answer. 
And so when, when, when Paul goes there, he goes there with a purpose, and it's to see them. He doesn't explain all of his purpose. He just simply says, I wasn't able to be there for longer than 15 days. I saw no one except James and Peter. And then he says, now concerning these things, indeed before God, I do not lie. So he's telling the truth. And then he goes on to say, afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, because they really didn't want anything to do with him, because they thought he was still this persecutor. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. And so here's what we understand by looking at these scripture. While Paul's visit with Peter and James was three years after his conversion, which first of all we see that that would make it impossible for him to have received his message from them, what he was able to do during that time was he was able to share with them the gospel that he received. And obviously Peter and James and the church gave him the right hand of fellowship and said that gospel is the true gospel. That gospel aligns with the gospel that we received that gospel is the one to preach and then the scripture says in the last verse in verse 24 and they speaking of the church that didn't even know him by face had not heard him preach um, publicly had not heard him preach personally that church glorified God in him and the way that that's written in the Greek is it's saying that they continued to glorify God for the things that God was doing through the apostle Paul why is this important First of all, it's important that, that Paul did not receive the gospel message from men, but that he received it from God himself because that marked him as an apostle. That shows that the message was consistent. And it's important that he went to the leaders in the church and communicated with them to make sure what I got is that the right thing. He didn't just say, you know what, man, I was in that desert. I was with Jesus. He knocked me off my high horse on the way to Damascus. Hello. Blinded me for three days. Ananias came, baptized me, prayed for me. I went and started seeking God. God, I started refuting and, and, and arguing the point that Jesus was Messiah. He could have said all of that and been like, man, I don't need anyone's approval. But that's not what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul intentionally, it says that he went there. What's the purpose? He's bringing this up to let them know these people approved of me. Hello. The church was glorifying God. Peter and John are not, not part of the church. They're part of the church. And so it's important for us to understand that. And, and, and there, there's a practical lesson here because as I'm looking at this, it's important for us to ensure that we are not out there accepting new teachings or new revelations. Hello. You know, one, one, one of the things that is so important, and the reason why, and listen, the reason why I check myself when I'm studying the scriptures and I look at commentaries, and don't get it twisted, I don't necessarily agree with every single thing that a man says. That's not going to happen. That's going to be impossible for me to find someone that I agree with 100%. And it's been like 19 years and I still haven't found them yet. So I'm just telling you, I think that's impossible besides Jesus. The point of the matter is, when men read the Bible, they see things. But when it comes to the things that really matter, when it comes to the, to the things that are supposed to be clear across the board, I've said this before, and this is the reason why I gave you that first quote about reading the scripture in its context, because that will give you, the, you know, the, the right interpretation of the text and the best application of the text, is because there is only one, hear what I'm going to say, there is only one correct interpretation of all of scripture. Did you hear me? 
There is only one correct interpretation of all of Scripture. The reason why we have so many churches is because men are not humble enough to really get together and really have conversations that are difficult and really recognize, man, you know what? I'm wrong. I'm wrong. The way that I see that is incorrect. And so we end up having our own things and we end up doing our own stuff. And here is the point. The point is that when we look at church history, this is what you and I have to understand. And we don't really know this because many of us, I mean, and not, I'm not even a big, I, I, I think history is probably my least favorite subject, okay? But the point of the matter is, is that if we know some church history, you know what we'll find out? We'll find out that these guys that we're reading, many of them gave their life for the gospel. Many of them suffered persecution for the gospel. Many of them were writing these things to make sure that the purity of Scripture was maintained throughout history. And so when I look at my studies, I study it out, and I look, and to make sure that I'm not off the kilter somewhere, that I haven't, you know, fallen off the deep end somewhere, what I do is I make sure that I check the foundational things that are important. Think, I think Pastor Robert's dad said, if it's new, if it's new it ain't true. And if it's true, it's not new. So he doubles it up. Amen? If it's new, it ain't true. And if it's true, it ain't new. So, and and, and, and I, I, I'll quote even someone else that is even more of an authority, and that is the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Ain't nothing new under the sun. Hello? That, that, that's what Ecclesiastes says. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. And so what we understand is that this is, is important for us to maintain integrity when it comes to the gospel and the scriptures. And there's nothing that is new, especially in these areas. And so we look at what the word of God teaches. We look at the church history and we say, okay, you know what? This is what God has communicated. But let me give you an application for us today. Because here's what we have to understand. Is that we must learn to trust God's established church and delegated leaders as a source of protection and development. Not a source of restriction. Hello? Are you hearing me? I'll never forget when I was, I think I was, I was probably about eight months old in the Lord or something like that. And I've told you all my testimony, radically saved was, I mean, I, in the first three months, I read the whole New Testament. I mean, I was, I didn't have a job. I wasn't in school. And seriously, I used to be in my room and my mom can attest to this. You could ask her. I'll give you a number if you want to call her and I won't give her a pre-call, you know, to, to set her up for you. But she'll tell you, I'll be locked up in my room for hours, just hours, me and Jesus. I was crazy. Let me, let me tell you how crazy I was. I used to lay hands on myself so I could knock myself down. I'm just saying. I was like, and the name was, I, and, I, I, and I would stand by the bed just in case it worked, but it never worked anyway. So I was like, whatever, man. I guess someone else got to do that to you. Amen. I was crazy, man. But here's the thing. I, I was crazy for Jesus, right? I'm, I'm just, I, I, was, I was like, I want the power of God. I need to fall out. That's the power of God, I guess. Anyway, I'm just. <laughs> just lay, lay hands on myself, man. I, I was, anyway. The, 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 forgot my point but it, about eight months old in the Lord and so I was in I was in a Bible study you know and it, high school kids and our youth pastor was not going to be there for this particular weekend and so or it was it was the second time that he wasn't going to be the first time that he wasn't there was probably like I don't know you know maybe like two months prior to this and then they didn't ask me to speak and I'm like why y'all ain't asking me to speak, man? I mean, I know Jesus. I mean, I, you know, I, I talk all the time. I'm just saying I love talking. And, you know, I, I'm, so anyway, so the second time that he wasn't going to be there, I was like, nah, man, I'm going to go talk to the pastor. 
So I was like, Pastor, I want to talk to you. He's like, what's up? And I said, um, listen, Pastor Ricky's not going to be here for this Wednesday night. It wasn't a weekend. It was a Wednesday night. I said, he's not going to be here for this Wednesday night. And I said, and I'm just curious, man. Why haven't y'all even considered me to teach the Bible study? And he looked at me and he said, you think you can handle that? And I was like, yes, I can handle that. I'm like, me? This is what I was built for. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. <laughs> I did say yes. I didn't say it like that. I wasn't like. Me? No, I, went. I was like, yeah, I can handle it. And he was like, okay, go ahead and, 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 you know, I'll let you do the class. So I remember I went and I did the class, and no lie, I was teaching, I was teaching on the renewing of the mind. And there was a young lady who was sitting like in the second row in the class, and I promise you, she cried from the beginning of the class to the end of the class. And she gave her life to Jesus at the end of the class. And I was like, what's up? <laughs> they didn't think I could handle this? What's wrong with these people, man? I'm saying. She was crying throughout the whole class. I'm the Lord's anointed up in here. What's, I'm just kidding. I did not. I thought something like that, but I wasn't beating my chest or nothing. I was, I was, I'm going to be honest. I was not beating my chest at all. I was so humbled by that, that experience because I didn't know what to do because I had never been in a situation like that, right? That's my first time ever, like, teaching a Bible study. And, I'm, and you know me, I'm a preacher, you know, so preacher, teacher. I was more of a preacher then than a teacher. I've become more teaching now. But at that time, I'm, like, preaching. I'm talking about be renewed in your mind, and she's just crying. I'm like, glory to God. Like, what do I do? I'm like, well, if you want to accept Jesus, she's like, yes. I was like, praise the Lord. And so she accepts the Lord. The point that I make is that, I shared that with the pastor. He didn't put me to teach Bible study right away. Why not? I got people crying up in the class. Hello. I got a word from God. I got an anointing from the Holy Ghost. I'm making myself fall out. That's what it was. That's why she was crying. She felt that, man. <laughs> but the whole, the, the, the thing was, here, here's what happened. They knew that it wasn't time for me to do that, right? They weren't restricting me. They were allowing me to be developed. And so they allowed me to grow. And then, you know, about, you know, maybe four, five, six months later is when I actually ended up in this position. And I was able to, you know, become a high school Bible study teacher. And even in that time, let me tell you something. I can share that testimony with you as well. I wasn't even ready for that. Hello? See, because what, what someone should have told me, I'm going to tell you right now, I say this all the time. I wish someone would have been, I was 18 years old. Someone should have came and told me, son, you have a calling on your life. You know what you need to do? Get into Bible college. That's what they should have told me. They should have directed me to a good Bible college. Amen? Not some bootleg crazy Bible college. It should have been like, yo, you need to go to like some real, you know, some place where they're going to teach you the scriptures. Right? Where they're going to communicate the truth of God's word to you. Where they, where they, they, that's what they should have done because I'm in my third year of Bible college. Y'all know how long I've been in my third year of Bible college? I ain't even going to tell you because my wife is dying to throw a party when I get my bachelor's degree. And you will all be invited. Amen? Because it's going to be a grand celebration because it's been like 12 years that I've been in my third year. I'm just saying. That's crazy, man. But I'm going to let y'all hold me accountable. I'm going to get this thing done by the end of this year. Amen. Glory to God. So, <laughs> so now I got everyone holding me accountable. They're going to be like, Bishop, what's up, Bishop? Every week, how you doing on us? I'm doing great. Glory to God. We're getting this thing done. Amen. The point is, we have to see the church for what it is. The church throughout history, the church of the present day, it's not here to restrict you. It's here to help you develop and grow in your adherence to the gospel. That is what our job is as leaders and as people of God. And when I say leaders and people of God, I don't just mean the leaders. I mean us as well, church. Are you hearing me? You sit next to people. You sit next to people. You right now sit next to people, talk to people, have relationship with people. You are in communion with people that need to be developed. And some of them, they need to be told, chill. Others of them need to be told, yo, you need some fire in your life. Hello? 
We are part of that development process. Some people need to be in love, communicated. Because you know what? All of us come from different backgrounds. And some of us come from what I call the high flyer background. Hello. And everything is a spirit. Everything is a demon. Everything. And, and look, you know, we need to just be like, no, it's not like that. Sometimes y'all just need to repent. Hello. You want to rebuke the, the spirit of depression. I'm just saying it. There, there may be in some scenarios, but not as much as you're rebuking. Hello. I'm just saying. There's a spirit of heaviness for sure, and that, and that does happen for sure. But I promise you, there's a lot of people that are rebuking and binding, and that is, not the, that is not the problem. There's sin in people's lives that need to be repented of and dealt with, and then we'll be able to see freedom, and you won't experience that spirit of heaviness. Hello? And so it's important for us to make sure that we see the church for what it is and that we be the church that God has called us to be. And I'm getting ready to close with this. One of the greatest errors in our days is for us to fall into the belief that something else than the gospel can save us. Or that there is something greater or that there is something more necessary than the gospel for our lives. I said this the first Sunday that I was preaching this message, how grateful I was. And, 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 and I, will, I will explain to you, as a child, I'll make this really, really quick, but I want you to understand what I meant. I said that my life, I statistically should be dead or in prison or diseased or something like that. But me as a kid, I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in a house with a dad in my life. So therefore, I lacked that protection that I should have had. I was, I was molested as a child. I experienced things that I should not have experienced. And so statistically, I shouldn't be the person that I am today. I should have had to go to some kind of psychological counseling to get my mind right. But you want to know what happened? Jesus, Jesus met me and changed my life. And so am I saying that people don't need counseling? Some people do. But what I do know this, if they will meet the counselor... If they will meet the counselor and they will be in the gospel, God will change their lives. I remember, I remember sitting down one day and my father and I, I met my dad when I was 13 years old. And when I met him, I met him because my father at that time, he was on death row. He, you know, the charges that were against him, he beat them. But while he was on death row, he found us through the school system. And he sent me and my sister a letter to the middle school that we were at. And so we read the letter. I started to interact with him via mail. And then he got out of prison and I actually started to have a relationship with him. Um, and so, you know, my, 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 my father and my relationship, I always struggled. I struggled calling him dad. Even to this day, it's like hard. Like it doesn't come natural, right? And it's not because I hold anything against him. But you know what I realized? I, didn't, I, I realized this one day. One day I was in prayer. And as I'm sitting there in the prayer closet and I'm seeking God's face, I'm just worshiping. I'm not thinking about my dad or anything like that. All of a sudden, I sit down and I start writing a letter to my father. And as I start writing this letter to my father, tears begin rolling down my face because I'm writing how hurt I was because, you know, I remember that Father's Day when I was in church and all the other kids were going home and they were going to go play with their dads and I was crying and saying, man, why don't I have a dad? I remember those days. I remember when I had all those football games and those practices and I thank God because he made it to one of them when he had the opportunity because he wasn't in prison and I give him props because my, you know, my, my mother's um, boyfriend at the time and my mom, nobody ever came to a game until my dad decided to show up hello but I remember sitting down and as I'm writing this letter out who told me to write the letter well the Holy Ghost must have been leading me because all I know is that from that moment there was something that lifted off of me and anything that I ever felt any kind of resentment or bitterness it was gone was it because of a human counselor or because of the counselor it was because the Spirit of God works when you have a relationship with Him. And so I don't discredit counseling. I do counseling all the time. And so I don't discredit it. But what I'm saying is that we would spend less time in counseling if we would spend more time in the gospel. 
So my closing question is this. Have you believed the gospel with your whole heart? Have you believed it with your whole heart? Have you believed it with everything that is in you? And if you say yes, that means you put your faith in Jesus totally. Amen? It means that you are walking with Jesus. It means you're not half-stepping with Jesus. It means that you say no to the things that Jesus says no to. You say yes to the things that Jesus says yes to, even when it hurts. Even when it's hard. And so have you put your faith in the gospel? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you come to that realization that God is holy and you are not? Have you come to that realization that apart from his work on the cross, there is no hope, there is no salvation? Have you come to that realization that he wants to give you life and life abundantly, but that does not begin until you surrender your life to him? Have you come to that realization that you're a new creation in him? Because for some of you, you put faith in Jesus, you understand you're a sinner, but you don't understand you're a new creation for some of you. Some of you haven't, ha- haven't been able to bask in that reality that you're no longer that person you used to be, that you're no longer the way that you used to be, that you're no longer that the Bible says that you are a new creation. If you are in Christ, all things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Have you put your faith in the gospel? So I ask you to stand to your feet and bow your heads. And so here is, if you put your faith in the gospel, then you should be believing for the salvation of others. You should be believing that the same gospel that changed you has the power to save others. But my question is this today. If you have not put faith in Jesus, do you hear him calling and will you respond? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to open up this altar. And if you need to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar and let us pray with you as you surrender all of your heart. Maybe you have kind of a faith, but you're like, God, I want to have a full faith in you and your gospel. Today's a day for you to turn to him and to put your faith in him. Maybe you're struggling with your faith. Maybe you're struggling in your relationship with Jesus. Today's the opportunity for you to come.